What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 171 of the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at DialedHealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And on today's episode, I sit down with Cole Patton, who is a professional off-road cyclist. He is the current U.S. Marathon National Champ, who also placed third overall in the Lifetime Grand Prix this year, and doing so as an athlete for Giant Bicycles, The Feed, ASOS, and Orange Seal. Now, coming into this interview, I really wanted to know about the macro view of his off-season schedule and what it looks like from the time his last race is over to actually starting the season. And I wanted to know specifics. So how much time is he taking off the bike immediately if he is taking time off the bike? What's he doing for any type of cross training? Does he have a favorite off-season workout once the training does ramp back up, which he goes into great detail on, so you guys will be able to walk away with a workout that he is using. And I also wanted to know details about his post-ride routine. What does he do when he steps off the bike after a day of training? This includes nutrition, his stretch routine, deep tissue work, compression boots, all the little tricks of the trade, including a couple that I've never really thought of that were recommended by his coach. So I hope you guys love this episode. As always, I was very grateful to have Cole on. He's the one of the top riders in our country. And so it's very surreal for me to have a guest like that on the podcast. And hopefully you learned as much as I did. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening on. In fact, I have a review from the last week on the Apple Podcast app, and it is from JT Froms. He says, enjoying the vibe. That's the title, five stars. So much that I became a member. Thank you for the hard work creating a very cool product. Hope to use this tool as I transition from my late 40s to my 50s. So perfect example of what you can do that really helps show the popularity of the show. And I'm going to be honest, selfishly, I love it. Thank you so much for the awesome feedback. It's so good to know that not only the content in the podcast is resonating with you guys, but also the product itself, which is dialedhealth.com, where you can get all of your strength training and mobility needs, basically everything you would want to do off the bike to make sure that you are not only the best cyclist possible, but also the happiest, healthiest human. After we finish this conversation with Cole, we're going to move on to my weekly thoughts, which is really going to go over what I'm doing with the product and customer service going into the new year. Things that I really want to focus on, and I'm going to give you guys some details. So this is going to be a little bit more business focused, but of course, I got some personal stuff in there for you as well. But there is one thing that I could not say for weekly thoughts that I have to tell you right now, and that is... The Dodd Health Shred 2024 is coming. This is the annual fat loss contest that I host in January for cyclists to learn how to be in a caloric deficit while still fueling their training so that they can achieve the body fat goals they want while still prioritizing their ride performance. We will be officially announcing this at the end of this week, but the signups will be live starting next week. So stay tuned. I've had a few people reach out and ask me if the challenge is happening. Of course it is. Of course there's a cash prize. Of course there's partner prizes. And I can't wait to do this with you guys this year because you not only are going against each other, but you're going to have to go against me. I am absolutely fired up to burn some body fat at the beginning of this upcoming year. And if you find yourself in that category, hopefully it is a perfect fit for you. So stay tuned for more details. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Cole Patton. All right, Cole, I really want to jump into your off-season training because I know that you spend a ton of time on the bike training and also a ton of time off the bike training. And so I figured you'd be a great guy to talk to, to give us a rundown on what pros are really doing. So let's start with the macro view. When do you end your season and what do you do immediately after your season? And when do you start picking up training again? Yeah, so 
this year especially, it was kind of just like all based on how I felt physically and mentally, but but more mentally. I kind of let my motivation dictate when I would start training again. Um, so after my last race, we took like a hard uh, two weeks off the bike completely. I wasn't even allowed to touch my bike, which um, was really easy for the first week. And then for the second week, it was like, tr- like pulling teeth almost like all I wanted to do was ride. But um, I knew that I had to, to give my body some rest. And then um, after about a two week uh, break, then we kind of um, just allowed my motivation to dictate what I did. And uh, I just got this awesome new e-bike. So um, that was like my third week of training back after or into this new season. Um, so I was just doing really unstructured riding, um, on the e-bike, mainly just kind of riding really technical trails and, and dialing in my skills, um, and just having fun with it really. Um, so that was like my three weeks kind of off. And then this week is my first week back into training. Um, but it's, it's really pretty minimal. No, no real structure, just kind of like putting in some hours and then, um, doing some accelerations if I feel good. But, uh, my coach, uh, Dennis Van Winden, he just really wants me to kind of take it on my, on my own time and pace and, um, and then, uh, start ramping up here in the next couple of weeks. Is there a deadline to where you need to officially start doing more structure? We were, we, we kind of determined that to be this week. Um, so he wanted me to kind of rest through Thanksgiving. Um, and then the first week of December, he was like, okay, this is when we start, we need to start communicating more daily about how you're feeling, how you're, um, uh, adapting to, to what we're doing. And then, uh, and then we can start having more structure, maybe fill out the training peaks a little bit more. And, uh, and then second week in December, we'll be back to training. That's awesome. You know, meeting Dennis, your coach at Sea Otter this year was cool for me because he's that type of coach where you talk to him and he gets you fired up because he's so knowledgeable and it's like your curiosity just sparks. You want to start diving into questions with them. You start thinking about things a little bit differently, at least just talking to him for five, 10 minutes. Like I did. That's how I felt. So hopefully we can have him on the podcast. I'll have to pick you up for that one uh, afterward. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. Dennis is awesome, man. I'm, I'm super fortunate to be working with him and, and yeah, every conversation I have with him is just more, more motivation for, for training and, and for the year ahead. So you essentially stopped at the beginning of November and then you've been unstruck. You were off the bike completely for two weeks. You have had like a week, almost two weeks on the e-bike, getting some tech skills back, playing around on that. And now you're starting some structure. So what, when do you really start, I guess, even before I ask about the volume, I'm curious, do you retest numbers at the beginning of this new training block? When do you do any type of testing? Yeah, so I'll probably do that after I have one block of training, like one three-week block. Um, usually we do testing like right at the new year in January. 
um, I go over to, to Spain and that's where I spend the majority of the winter. And right when I get there, we usually do testing just so I have all my zones. Right. Um, but we definitely like to have like at least a few weeks, uh, to get back rolling before then. Um, so yeah, right now it's just kind of like training all off sensations. Um, not really paying too much attention to the power meter, just kind of making sure I'm riding in my endurance zone or I have aerobic sensations when I'm riding. Oh, sensations. That was the term. I thought you said expectations for a second, but sensations, that's awesome. So do you track any of the power or do you just take that off your, your uh, head unit and you just go off a feel and then you refer back to the numbers? Yeah, I track it all. Um, and I even have it on my head unit, but, um, I just, I never really look at it when I'm riding. I've been like, I've been working a lot on that actually. And it's kind of always been more of a distraction for me than something that helps me. Um, and, uh, like all of last year I got, I was just like obsessive over training off of sensations and knowing exactly kind of where all my zones are. Um, just, and I, and I felt like, uh, paying more attention to that and training really helped me in racing too. Cause I just, I was a lot more disciplined and, and knowing how, like how I can conserve energy at certain times of, of these long gravel races, like don't, don't sit over zone right now, or especially at altitude too. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm definitely one, an athlete that prefers, um, to, to ride off of feel more than staring at, um, at a data screen. That's good to know. We had Alexi on the podcast and he said he raced Leadville without power just for that reason. He really wanted to feel it and he didn't feel like it would actually make, actually help him, um, which blew me away. But I think if you're that in tune with your body, it probably would be an advantage, especially when you are at a crazy altitude or there's other variables that you can't really track with power. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. I heard that too. And I'm like, I was actually the opposite at Leadville was the one race that I did look at power because I just knew that like, especially on Columbine, the really long climb, if I went over my threshold, I was just screwed for the rest of the day. So I was like religious about looking at my power meter, making sure I didn't go over a certain number, um, but then for the rest of the race, then I was off sensations. But that was like the one time of the year where I was like, okay, I have to tune into my power numbers here because I can't afford to be going too hard. Did you take a percentage off your normal threshold numbers just to account for the altitude? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we actually did a bunch of testing, um, lactate testing at that elevation and training. So Dennis came to Durango and we did a bunch of testing at like 11,000 feet to make sure my zones were correct. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah, it was, it was really dialed and like, I don't know if I would have been as, uh, anal about looking at my power if I, if we wouldn't have done that testing, but since I knew exactly what power I needed to hold, um, then it was, it just like kind of took that, that, um, gray area away. And I was like, okay, if I just hold this for an hour, I'm going to be good and I can, that that's like the most I can get out of my body. Oh, that's awesome. So you had that confidence from the actual field test itself. It's not like you were just trying to throw an equation out there and be like, Oh, well, I'm going to dictate the whole race on this. You, you really knew those numbers were working for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nice. 
So I want to dive into this off-season block that is going to happen in Girona. But before we go on there, I'm curious about this two weeks that you took off the bike initially from the season. Do you think it was more beneficial physically or mentally? Mm, yeah, uh, probably physically. It was crazy because, uh, so Big Sugar, uh, October 24th or something was my last race. And after like, I took two weeks off, but three days into my off season, I got super, super sick. Both civilian and I got really sick. And I think it was just our bodies like needing that rest. We had stretched it for so long. And like, as soon as we uh, took our foot off the gas, like everything just went south. Um, so I think physically I, I really needed the break. Um, and I needed that full two weeks pretty much um, before I started to feel more like myself. But uh, mentally it was nice for about a week. And then it's like, you're so, I'm so used to just training all the time, riding and um, kind of having that outlet that all of a sudden everything feels out of balance. And like, I don't have those endorphins and I'm not burning calories and energy. And like my appetite is like so small and, and it just feels really weird. Um, mm -hmm. so, so mentally it was good for a week. And then I was like, okay, I have to go on walks or runs or something to, to rebalance. Like, um, just doing nothing is, is not, uh, helpful for me. So then did you include some runs or some cross training in that two weeks? Yeah. So, so I, I got this e-bike that I'm, I've been having so much fun on and I got, um, since I was sick and just like not training, I started working on trail and that was like, that ended up just consuming like all of my time. I just zing out on the e-bike and work on trail for a few hours and, uh, come back completely exhausted. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was actually oh, that's really awesome. good. Yeah, it was sick. Like, I feel like it was my good little cross training. Cause I was just like doing so much physical labor, upper body stuff. And I just come back completely uh, wrecked and like I could barely like close my fists from just like shoveling and and lopping and and hedging all this brush and stuff. So so yeah, that ended up kind of being like my off season cross training. Oh, that's awesome! So th that was within that first two weeks off. Yeah, that was like my second week, third week, and even into this week. Like I just can't stop. I'm having nice. so much fun doing it. <laughs> Trail building's fun. I'm sure anyone who rides a lot of mountain bikes or is on the more gravity side of things, uh, like where I came from with enduro and downhill, going out and just building trail is great. You're out in the in the woods usually, or you're in a beautiful landscape. You have like this instant gratification of whatever you built that day, and it's like the same energy you get from riding almost. Oh, dude, it's so rewarding. Like, yeah, I've been having so much fun just building a little section and riding it, and kind of like tweaking it a little bit so it, it rides a little smoother and yeah it's it's been awesome the e-bike's been amazing too because i can just do laps on my trail and kind of burn it in yeah i've been it's been so good what about your strength training are you doing any strength training in that first two weeks you know i've been pretty lazy with it honestly um it's funny i was like you should you should be talking to Sevilla because She's been doing like strength training every day of the off season. She's like so disciplined. 
Um, but I've, I've kind of just taken a break. And um, since I've been like working on trail, I've just been, that's been like my big uh, energy output for the day. And I'm usually pretty cracked. Um, but I have been building up uh, like some core routine, um, especially now that I'm starting structured training. Um, most of my strength work is usually kind of just this repeatable um, 12, it's like a 12 minute routine. I have it pretty dialed um, and it just kind of activates all of my, my weaker muscle groups before I go out and ride. Um, and, and I've just found that to be the most effective for me um, and something that I can always do, but it's, it's mainly um, resistance bands and TRX. And it's kind of evolved to that because it's something that I can always travel with. So um, I, throughout the season, I always have a TRX and bands with me and um, I can just repeat that process um, multiple times a week, wherever I'm at on the road. Oh, that's awesome. So you use that year round and do you do it for every single ride or is it just more high intensity sessions? Is it just if you feel like you need it? Like how strict are you about that? Yeah, it's usually for um, basically anything harder than an endurance ride. So that's kind of like where I draw the line is like if I'm doing endurance or recovery, I don't do the routine. But if I have any sort of intervals for the day um, or kind of like I do this thing called a warming up ride before an interval workout where I just go ride however I want. If I feel like I want to do a couple sprints, then I do them or whatever um, just to open up my body. Um, so I'll, I'll do the activation routine before those rides and then all my interval rides, races. Um, yeah. So quite a few times a week, probably three, three, three or four times at least a week. Oh, that's awesome. So then through the off season, will you not add any extra strength work or any load on top of that? I'm, I'm unsure yet. I think, I think we're going to add a little bit once I go to Girona. Um, and we're in one place and I can use a gym consistently. Um, but like last year I didn't at all. I just did this activation routine and we really, um, tailored it to exactly what I needed. I have an imbalance in my right glute. And so it's, um, it, it kind of really, uh, targets those, that imbalance and make sure that those muscles are super activated before I directly go and hop on the bike. Um, and so that was kind of like the main focus of last year and right now. And then, um, I'm going to reassess that situation with my physio over in Girona and see, see how it's going. And then, uh, maybe build on from that, maybe add in some weight. I know he wanted to add in a little bit of weight, um, this winter, but we definitely need like a, a couple month time period to do that. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, if you do, I'd be really curious to hear about some of the feedback. Uh, and obviously I'm always here to give my two cents as well, but I, I want to know when you started the activation routine and you really got it tailored to you, was there a point where you did it and then you went out and rode and you're like, Oh, that for sure worked. And that's what I'm going to continue doing for a while. Was there a ride like that? Oh yeah. It was like, Dude, it was like immediate. The first ride I had after this routine, it was like, okay, I'm I'm fired, I'm ready. It's like it's almost like doing a warm up. Like you you warm up before a race and then you're ready to go. 
that's how I feel after I do the activation routine. It's like, as soon as I hop on the bike, everything's just connected. Um, my core, like all of my muscles are just firing and ready to go. Um, and like, sometimes like if I miss my activation routine, I just like will not have a good ride or workout. Like it's like essential. Like I have to do it now. My body's just like, it needs it. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel when I do it too, is, uh, you feel like as soon as you jump on your bike, you're riding and you don't need to wait until your body just kind of jumps into gear. And I occasionally miss some pre-ride warmup or it's very infrequent, but when it happens, I feel like it takes me 20, 30 minutes before I feel good on the bike, opposed to doing the even five minute routine, usually 10 minutes is ideal. Um, like, and for me, a lot of times it's just a, like foam rolling movement, taking my joints through full range of motion, a couple plank variations and a glute bridge and I'm out the door or like maybe some stability single leg thing. But it's like, as soon as I roll down my driveway, I feel like I'm, I'm riding and my body's ready to go. So that's cool that you notice that too at your level. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, let's go to Girona a little bit. So you have the plan as really making sure the structured training is going on in Girona. Uh, What's the setup looking like over there? It sounds like you spend quite a bit of time there in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be our third year kind of spending that winter period over there. I'm going to be there January, February, March. Um, and it's just a great place for Sevilla, my girlfriend and I to be. She has a bunch of UCI races going on. And uh, for me, I just, I have great weather to ride in and amazing routes and our coach uh, lives there in Girona, so we can train with him, um, which is super beneficial. Um, it's just like, it, it goes such a long ways to be able to do workouts with him um, and just kind of like, uh, he's just so motivating to be around when we're, when we're training. Um, but yeah, we'll have a little apartment. Um, Sevilla is going to try to base out of there most of the year because uh, she's racing mountain bike world cups. So she needs to be in Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of like our, our little setup. It's a, it's kind of a, a little city um, in, in Spain and the climate's really nice. Last year, we only got snowed on a couple days um, and then lots of sunshine and endless routes to choose from. And it sounds like the scene in Spain is really picking up fast. Like there's a lot of heavy hitters training in Spain during the off season, even some other Americans that are going over, right? Yeah. We have a really good group of athletes there that are training. Um, a lot of world tour road teams train out of Girona and then actually a lot of mountain bikers go over there too. Um, I think that the, the mountain biking there is just super underrated. It's, it's really technical and it's right out of the city. So you can be on super challenging trails in like 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, we had a good little squad over there last winter, Payson and Braden and Kelsey, Sevilla and I, and, um, a bunch of P a bunch of riders that, um, are with the Orange Seal Academy team went over there for an early season kind of training camp. And so we had a, a little group of Americans that we were all with. And that's always really nice to, to feel like you have your little pot of people. Um, but it's also just like you meet so many people there in Girona and, and uh, there's a lot of group rides going on and little 
kind of local races that are super high level because everyone is a pro. Um, so it's, it's just such a great area to be around. I, I find it really motivating and like every day I just want to get out there and, and, and ride longer. And, um, I, I definitely am fueled by riding with other people. So it's, uh, it's a good spot for me. Oh, that's awesome. So how's your Spanish? Oh, dude, I need to start working on it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I studied, I studied Spanish in high school and, and a little bit in college. And so when I go over there, I pick it up. Um, but it takes me about a month to start speaking and, and being confident. I'm always so nervous and get laughed at a lot, but that's just all part of it. Oh, I bet. I, I bet it's, well, they got to give you some credit for trying at least, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's better to try than not. So I, I just go for it. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's fun. And it's like, that's another really cool part about being over there is like, you're immersed in the language and you're kind of forced to try. So, um, it's good for me, but then I come back and I spend what, like nine months here in the U S and then it all goes out the door. So I just got to keep up <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So you get over to Spain, you have an awesome support group. It sounds like to really elevate your training and everyone's kind of on the same program. And what does it look like volume wise for you getting into like a heavier, more structured training block? Like, I'm kind of curious as to what you would start with like hours per week and then, um, what it would peak at. And then I'm, I'm also mm -hmm. curious about the TSS, but let's start with the, with the volume talk too. So what does that okay. start with and what does it peak out at typically? Yeah. Yeah. Last year was kind of my first year really doing high volume. I'll say higher volume because yeah. Um, but like for me right now, this is my first week of training back and I'm doing about 17 and a half hours. Um, and, and for me, that's, that makes me tired. I'm real tired after that. Um, when I'm in like my big base preparation season, I'll, I'll do like consistent 20 to 25 hour weeks, but we usually cap it at about 25. Last year I hit maybe a 27 hour week and then a 29 hour week before unbound. And, uh, and it was just too much. I couldn't quite handle that. And I got really sick. Um, so we, we've kind of dialed it back. And I think that like 25 hour number is about my, my threshold right now. Um, I'm still developing a lot. So, so it's kind of always, it's changing and I'm, I'm able to absorb more and more, um, throughout, throughout the years, I guess, throughout the months too. Um, so we'll, we just kind of have to play it by year and see, see how I'm doing. But, um, but yeah, we're starting off, uh, right now, um, with about like 17 to 18 hour weeks. And then once I hit drone and we'll probably do 20 to 25. What does the TSS look like on those weeks? Do you have a ballpark number or is it just so different throughout the year that it's hard to even say? Yeah, it's so different. Um, usually they're all, all over like 1200 TSS, thousand TSS. Um, a lot of times in those high volume weeks, we'll throw in like a weekend race. And so that'll definitely bump up the TSS. Um, but like 80% of all of that time is just at zone two. So it's, you know, it's not hard. It's just conversational. It's just kind of ticking the hours away burning lots of calories, but not high intensity. 
And so what does your high intensity look like? Do you have an example of like your favorite off season workout or something that includes some intervals? Oh, uh, well, I have a workout tomorrow. I'm doing 90% of my peak one minute for one minute. And this is my first interval workout back. So 90% of my peak one minute for one minute and then two minutes at endurance and then that again. So, so one minute on two minutes off one minute on two minutes off, uh, times eight. That's my first interval workout back. Um, wait, so you're doing, then, is that eight of the individual one minutes or it's eight of those? So like 16, one minute blocks, eight, eight, one minutes. So not too bad. Eight, one minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my first, but, but with only back. two minutes in between, like that's, It'll, that's not a lot of yeah, recovery time, dude. I yeah. know, I know, man. It'll shock the system. Um, but yeah, like all my all my interval workouts are usually kind of that on-off structure. Um, so like we'll do like one minute on. It'll probably evolve to like one minute on, one minute off. And then, and then it'll go to like 40 20s and then it'll go to 20 or 20 40s and then 40 20s. So what is that? 20 seconds on, 40 seconds off. And then the next variation will be 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, um, just to kind of train that repeatability. Whenever we're doing interval training, we just want to be able to just kind of get on that gas and then recover really quick and then get on the gas again. Um, so that's usually like the death rides. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, dude, where are you doing this outdoors? Like what kind of terrain are you looking for if you're going to have, let's just say, tomorrow's workout? <clears throat> Are you going on flat roads? Do you have a super long climb? Like, do you do the interval and then just turn around and kind of cruise back down the climb and then loop it? Or how's this working? Because I have found that doing outdoor intervals is so much more difficult than I, than I had realized, um, opposed to just being on erg mode on a trainer and letting the graph take you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, it, you know, it really changes depending on like what I'm training for. And right now it's just like free open flexibility cause I'm just getting back into it. So I'll probably do it on a nice gradual climb just cause it's like ease of mind. I don't have to be thinking. Um, but if I'm training for like a mountain bike race, I really love to do my intervals on like a little loop where I can be on like a nice fire road climb and then hit some single track for my recovery. So I do all my intensity and then I'm immediately like trying to recover in a really technical section of trail and then right back into my interval. And so I've found like all these little loops that I have civilian. I do this all the time, you know, um, where we can practice recovering at a really high speed, just being redlined into technical trail. Um, or like, let's say I'm training like before unbound or a gravel race. And then I'll do these intervals on just like dead flat. Um, just to kind of get that stimulus. Um, so it just all depends on, on what race these intervals are for. Um, and then I'll kind of cater it, um, to where I do it, but yeah, little, little details go into it for sure. That's good to know. I really like the idea of finding the fire road to single track combination. And it's funny because I was actually trying to do something similar on my ride yesterday and I have a perfect zone for that. So I wonder how many people listening can think of that zone in their head that where that would actually work. Um, but when you're doing it on flat ground, 
and you're going for like, would you do 2040s on flat ground? And would you just start over geared or it just seems like crazy amounts of shifting for such a short effort. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Those types of intervals, like a 2040 structure, I would most likely be on a climb. Um, if I'm doing like intervals on flats, they're usually a lot longer or I'm doing like, you know, a threshold intervals for like six minutes or something. And then I'll do those on the flat, but there's definitely like that. That's something that I'm, I'm constantly working on. Um, cause I'm more of a climber build, um, is like doing more intervals on flats. Um, just, just to build that power because it's, it's so easy to put, put out high power for me on climbs, but not necessarily on flat roads. Um, when I'm just mm-hmm. trying to get low and arrow. Um, so that's been a little bit of something we've been focusing on. That's interesting. So have you put more of an emphasis on that since really, uh, it seems like you've embraced the lifetime grand prix and the gravel events and that style of riding, like, and, and I know that your past is really mostly in mountain biking, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So has that been the kind of transition too? It's like, okay, you always did your mountain bike efforts this one way and now your riding style has changed slightly. So you're sort of allowing yourself to let these, the style of intervals change with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've, and and just like training longer and higher volume too. Um, all of that is, is pretty new to me in the last couple of years. Um, so it's kind of been this, this weakness that I've been trying to strengthen. Um, I, for just because I've had so many years racing mountain bikes, I can accelerate really well and I can climb really well, but like those long sustained efforts and the long flat roads, that's where I struggle more. So that's kind of where we have to pay more attention to. Um, especially when I have like long intervals or hard sessions, try to do it on, on, uh, places that are challenging for me. So how much time are you spending on the different types of bikes? Because you're racing gravel, you're racing the mountain bike. I know you're out on the road bike too. Now you have your e-bike. So yeah, once you get over to Girona, what are you spending most of your time on? Yeah, so I'll just bring over my full suspension mountain bike and my gravel bike to Girona. And um, I go pretty 50-50, honestly. Most of my endurance days I'll do on my gravel bike just because it's more efficient and I can, I don't have as many punchy climbs, so I can stay in my zone two endurance a lot easier. And then for like my interval workouts or my fun rides, I'll take out my mountain bike and, and, uh, kind of shred around on that. But, um, in in season, it just depends on the races. Like with the structure of the Grand Prix, we go, you know, half of our races gravel, half of them are mountain bike. And, um, when I'm leading up to a race, I kind of like to exclusively be on the, the bike that I'm going to race on. Um, so nice. it, it keeps it pretty fresh. I, I, I switch up bikes quite a bit throughout the year. That's awesome. So we have January training block. You're getting into it. You're working up in this volume. It sounds like you've, uh, gotten pretty clear on sort of what the threshold is on your hours per week. Um, are you s- basically even with the amount of volume changing are you sticking to 80 percent mostly being zone two or is there a time where you will do a sweet spot build for a little while or you will kind of sit in other zones a little bit more frequently yeah yeah i think once i get over to spain so after this first kind of three-week block then i'll be able to do a little bit more sweet spot 
little bit more in those higher zones. Um, but right now we're just trying to pick that low hanging fruit and, uh, kind of get my body back going again. So there's no real reason to be pushing too hard. It's more just about kind of building up those hours and, uh, and efficiency and training. And, um, if I'm like over zone two right now, all it really does is make me tired and not be able to kind of like repeatedly ride. Um, whereas if I can just kind of stick in that zone two, I can just keep absorbing that training and, and, uh, kind of load those hours in, in a sneaky little way. Oh, that's good to know. So how often are you taking rest weeks? Yeah. Uh, right now we're, we're kind of doing like a three week build and then a fourth week rest. Um, but it just kind of all depends. Like Dennis is really good about kind of like adapting my training plan to, to my life. And so like, I'm going up to visit my family in Washington for Christmas and they have like two feet of snow on the ground. And and so we're going to take a rest week around Christmas. Um, and so it's just like, it's always changing based on where I'm going to be at in the year, or if I have an event coming up. Um, and, and so there's not really any specific formula, but it's more about how is this going to fit into the schedule the best for me? And that's kind of how we've, we figured out that's, that's the, the secret formula. So with a rest week, what's the volume look like on that? And I'm asking because I was talking to Lance about one of his rest weeks and one of his rest weeks volume wise, like on hours, that was, that's like a good week for me. And so I had to ask because I think there's a misconception that you guys are just like, and you guys as in pros are throwing the feet up all week long, but in reality, like you're still moving. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, rest week can be like 15 hours sometimes, sometimes more, <laughs> yeah. um, 12, what the 12 heck? to 15. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it, if I, if I do any less then my body just starts to shut down. So like, I feel better if I can just kind of keep those hours consistent. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's funny. It, it's funny how after you do a few 20 hour weeks, a 15 hour week feels like nothing. That is crazy. Crazy perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned earlier that when you took the the two weeks off the bike initially, your appetite was a lot lower. And it just talking to you, it seems like you really love the lifestyle of training and almost that rhythm of getting a hard workout, getting a good meal, just the flow of that life, which also brings me to the recovery that you'd be doing in between everything. So like off the bike, with the exception of trying to get quality sleep, I think, which we all know is priority number one, what are you doing next? Like, are you a compression boots guy? Are you getting on the foam roller? Do you have a stretch routine, hot and cold therapy, meditation? Like, what do you do? What's your favorite recovery modality off the bike? Yeah, I have this stretch routine that I do and I have to do consistently pretty much every day. Uh, it takes about 30 minutes. Um, and that's like my first go-to thing after a hard training um, is the stretch routine. And then I'm definitely a, a recovery boots guy. Like those things just help me stay in one place and just chill out. And and that's like needed a lot of times. Um, I don't foam roll a whole lot, but the thing that I really like to use is this thing called an Mobility ball. Um, it's like... I have one right here. It's like this, uh, 
this little thing. It's like a half ball that sits on the floor. It's flat on the bottom. And I, it's like a really deep tissue muscle release thing. Um, and so for me, I have like some major trigger points in my glute where I have that imbalance. And um, I just kind of sit on that, do some diaphragmatic breathing. And, and I, I've, I've learned how to just like really give myself a deep tissue massage with that thing. So it's like every night I'm, I'm using that and um, really helps me up, helps me just uh, get everything flowing again. Oh, that's awesome. So first off, I've never used one of those AccuMobility balls. Is that what it's called? Yeah, AccuMobility. Okay, I'm going to buy one. I love that. And I I typically lay on like a a peanut, which is basically two lacrosse balls, either in a bag or taped together. And uh, it's like a similar purpose, but that one looks like it'd be even more of a like specific spot that you could hit. Oh, yeah, dude. It's like total pinpoint right on the spot it's it's so good um yeah i I use it all the time i have them in two different uh, like densities so one of them's a little softer but yeah big big fan highly recommend that's a really good point too so with foam rollers obviously having a foam roller is the most important thing but if you can have multiple densities that does make a difference because if you have a little bit of soreness being on a super stiff foam roller sucks and it's probably not as beneficial as being on a softer foam roller and so having some options is is a really good idea so that's an even better point so i'm going to paint the picture of the perfect cold training day from what it sounds like and i and i want to lay this out so that people have an understanding of what they could shoot for with their schedule and structure behind all their training so you go out, you have an impeccable interval session, hit your numbers, feel great. I'm just throwing that in there as added bonus. You, you go and do your ride. And then you get back and do you immediately do that 30 minute stretch routine? Like when you're still in your kit or do you take a second to shower and then kind of go into it, grab a little food? How much time is there in between the, the actual ride and the start of your mobility routine? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, so I, I am not, it's not after I train at all. Usually it's actually right kind of after dinner when I'm kind of getting ready to go to bed and calming down. Um, but as far as my routine goes, um, as soon as I get done training, I'm like, as soon as I get home, it's immediate, get some carbs in. Um, so for me, it's either like some banana or, or a banana or two or um, some juice and then a recovery shake. Um, so I have immediate fuel coming in. And then another thing that, um, Dennis has really emphasized is like immediately shower. Like you want to rinse off all the sweat and get warm right after you're done training, because if you don't repeatedly over time, it's kind of risking getting sick. Um, so that's kind of just been ingrained in me as a routine is recovery shower and then, then maybe like make a lunch or have a meal or something and get on with my day. And then, um, after dinner is when I usually, um, start my stretch routine and, uh, it's about 30 minutes. Like I said, um, hits all of the areas that are, that are helpful for me. Um, and then after I stretch, depending on how tired I am, um, I'll, I'll sit on the AccuMobility ball. And then um, I'll hop in the Normatex um, or I'll just sit on the AccuMobility ball and then go to bed. But, uh, but yeah, I always like to stretch, then do the 
the trigger point work with the accumulability ball and then uh, sitting in Armitex. That would be like hitting all bases for me. Oh, that's such a good routine. I love that. So have you ever tried doing the the trigger point release before your static stretching? Sometimes I do. If I'm really messed up, okay. um, yeah. I'll just go straight to the ball. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. And then I'll stretch a bit. And sometimes it's just like, whatever is, is screaming the most, um, I'll do, or I'll, uh, I'll even like, if I'm really messed up, I'll sit in the Normatex as I have lunch, like earlier in the day. And then later in the day, I'll do my stretching and, and trigger point release. Okay. So then you mentioned the diaphragmatic breathing with, while you're doing the ball. And so do you have a specific technique behind that or like a structure to the breathing itself? Or are you just making sure that you're essentially taking in deep belly breaths? Yeah, no, I actually, um, I've worked with this physio, um, who was our physio for my collegiate team at Fort Lewis, Elka. And, uh, she, she really helped me out with this breathing routine and, uh, is the reason I'm using these, uh, acumobility balls, but it's a uh, deep, so, so you get onto a trigger point, like a really sharp, painful spot with this ball. And right when it hurts really bad, that's when you want to start your breathing exercises. And you take, I take four seconds in diaphragmatic as deep as I can. And then one second I hold and I flex my muscle as hard as I can right on the ball. So I'm contracting and then six seconds releasing. And when you release, you breathe out and you imagine your muscle just dissolving over the ball. And uh, I'll just keep doing that until I start to feel that muscle loosen up and like really open. Um, and, and it's really effective. I do it basically in all of my trigger points. And uh, I spend maybe 10 minutes doing that. And uh, it, it makes such a big difference for me. Oh, that's some good details right there. So you find the spot, you inhale, you contract the muscle, and then slowly exhale for six seconds and let the muscle exhale kind of release. like slowly release. Exhale and release. Yeah. Yep. Dang, that's good. And the deep breathing also before bed, even though you have that pain that's involved with it, activates your parasympathetic nervous system, kind of helps your body sort of shut down before bed. So I think a nighttime mobility routine for all of those reasons is, is such a great thing to implement. So with that routine, are you sipping on magnesium? Are there any supplements or anything like that you're taking to try and improve your sleep or help recovery or anything like that? Nothing too crazy. Um, I, I use just like the daily athlete formula from the feed, which is kind of just basic vitamins. Um, and then I have some like high performance supplements that I'm using as well, but nothing, nothing too crazy for sleep. Um, for me, like the sleep thing, it's so much more about just like being off my screen, turning off the lights, kind of having my circadian rhythm dialed in. Um, and that seems to be what helps me out the most. And obviously it's not like, not everyone can, can do that, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the position that I can. So it's, it's the most helpful. 
Oh, totally. And there's, you know, maybe not everyone can do what's ideal, but there's little things. Like, I'll give you an example. You know, I have three young kids right now. Sitting in Norma Tech boots is impossible because I have to be moving around constantly. It's so rare I can just sit in one spot because, you know, this one needs a granola bar. This one is turning the lights on and off rapidly, and I have to physically (laughs) move them into another room to get them to stop. Like, there's all these (laughs) random things going on, but... I found a really good pair of compression socks that I wear that actually do make a difference. And no, it's not quite as good, but dude, I throw those things on. I throw my blue light blocker lenses on, which I swear by. And I know somebody, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people don't, but I think those make a difference. If you are looking at a screen, like I'll typically throw on a YouTube video. I'll watch you tear up the lifetime grand prix while I'm doing my stretching. And that's kind of the routine that I get in, but even those little tweaks are what I do. So um, yeah, you might, you got to max out whatever your, your circumstance is, you know, you gotta oh, be yeah. creative. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's like, just do as much as you can. And that's like the best thing you can possibly do. Totally. And I also think that embracing the lifestyle of training is cool because it's easy to look at all of it. Like, oh my gosh, like, look at all these sacrifices, all these things I'm doing. But there was, I think a point for even me where I stopped and I was like, this is pretty cool. Like what, first off, what else would I be doing? I think about the other options and I'm like, I actually really like the lifestyle that comes along, you know, being an athlete or chasing my athletic potential, whatever that may be. You know, it's like you, I I think like embracing that is part of the way that you can enjoy it and get the most out of it too. You know, and like seeing, seeing how good it is because, you know, it's like, it's such a positive, awesome thing, you know? Oh, it's so true. Yeah. It's like, it's funny because we, I was just talking about this with Sibylia and in our off season, like for that first week or two, it's like, we're out of all of our, our athlete routines of stretching and going to bed early and turning off the lights and being off our screens. And, you know, we're just like completely off the rails, undisciplined. And like immediately you just feel terrible. Like, it's just like so clear how those little routines that we we've implemented throughout the year make such a big difference. And, uh, and after like a week of not doing it, it's like, I want to go back to like doing my stretching routine and, uh, and getting to bed early and, and all these little things. Cause I just feel better. And it's just like, you're, you're ready to take on anything. It's, it's so good. Yeah. I love it. Well, I have one more question about next year. Um, before I let you go. And that's really along the lines of goal setting. Obviously it's December. I'm sure you're taking a lot of time right now to still kind of reflect and and get clear on some goals you have for the next season. But do you have any process around that? Yeah. Um, I think it's just like, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty clear on my calendar and like my, I guess my, my result based goals are, are all around the lifetime grand prix. That's kind of where I'm putting all my focus on and, um, but I definitely have some, some little kind of process goals that, that I'm trying to dial in. And a lot of them are, um, kind of just like, like mindset things also just how I structure my life and, and kind of pay more attention to detail, um, in being an athlete, I think is a big thing that, that I'm setting for my goals, uh, next year. I think, something I struggle with is just like balancing all, all of the things in my life. I'm, I'm running my own privateer program. So 
it's a lot of, uh, of added work kind of, um, just putting that program together and, and, um, dealing with, uh, sponsor obligations and, uh, logistics and working on my own bikes and, uh, all of that stuff adds up. So one of my goals next year is to, um, kind of offload that work on, on some of my support team around me and, and try to, um, dial in my process a little bit more, be a little bit more focused, um, on, uh, on the training and recovering. Um, so that's kind of bit, that's like my theme for next year is like cutting mm. the fat out and just like really leaning into, to that process. And then of course, um, for results, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, gunning for the lifetime grand prix and then hopefully, um, able to have a really good buildup for marathon nationals next year as well. Absolutely. You got to defend that title and yeah, you got to defend your, your podium as well at the lifetime grand prix. I'm sure you're going to be chasing down the number one spot and I'm looking forward to, to watching, man. Thank you so much for jumping on this pod. I highly recommend everybody listening to go and follow you on Instagram. Uh, it is just at Cole Patton, right? Yep. That's me. Perfect. I'll make sure that that link is in the description for everyone listening. And is there anywhere else that you want people to follow you? Um, I, probably your YouTube. You, you put a ton of work into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. But yeah, I really appreciate any, any uh, traffic there. I'm hopefully going to be ramping it up some more uh, this coming year. So yeah, just Cole Patton on YouTube as well. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, man. And we will see you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I hope you guys love that conversation with Cole. I have to admit, I was heavily influenced. After he started describing his deep tissue work and all the trigger point work he does with that AccuMobility ball, I went to thefeed.com and I ordered one. And uh, <laughs> it's on its way right now. I can't wait to use it. It's funny because I have a full basket in my living room that just has all the mobility products that I use at night. From hand rollers to foam rollers, lacrosse balls. I have a sew right. I have quad rollers and multiple uh, foot rollers, like multiple different things uh, and different stretch ropes and little bands and tools. And I found that every single one serves a really good purpose. And there are some that I only use once a month. Like I just got this awesome cryo ball where you can put it in the freezer and it's like this cold metal that you can basically hold it in your hand because it's inside of the of a handle, the ball is. So when you roll it on your neck or something, it moves freely, but you don't have to hold the cold. That's one of those things. I don't use it more than a couple times a month, but every time I do use it, it's the perfect thing. It just hits the spot, literally, and and figuratively. <laughs> like it just hits the spot. You're like, oh, dude, this thing's perfect. So, anyways, I highly recommend just buying all the mobility, all the foam roll gear you can because. Uh, it all is pretty dang useful. Um, and I'll say this is a, something I didn't plan on talking about, but this is like when people talk about their guns and they're like, oh, is it better than a foam roller? And the truth is I would not – like one can't replace the other. That's the honest truth. I've used both of them for so long, and I've realized that sometimes a foam roller feels better and sometimes a Theragun feels better. And sometimes it's just the convenience of where you're at, which will make you choose one or the other. Uh, but I found little things like post-ride, I love using my Theragun. Post-workout, I love it. It's just easy, it's simple, it's quick, and it just makes your whole body kind of relax. It takes out any sort of achy feel 
But when I need some blood to move, when I need to get in a little bit deeper, when I need to include some mobility, the foam roller is the ticket. And so that just gives you an example of how two tools that some people kind of think are options for one another are actually very different. And so anyways, kind of a side tangent, I want to get into talking about the product and sort of where my mindset is at coming into this week. So over the weekend, and I was almost afraid to announce this, but basically I I made the decision to turn back on the program questionnaire that sends me the emails as part of the onboarding process, which a couple podcasts ago, I talked about how much it was stressing me out. And that was because we had the biggest surge I've ever had. To be honest, it's the only time in the history of my work online. I mean, not that it goes that far, but it's just been a few years now. But it's the only time I've ever had a wave of people that way outscales my process. So it got me really thinking. It's like, how do I really automate this thing? And so we've been building out the questionnaire to be automated and to be basically somewhat of an algorithm to choose you the best program. And it's at a point right now where it does work, but it's hard for me as a coach to feel like it's an A plus answer. And again, it's like, okay, is getting an answer in some direction that's a B? Is that better than nothing? I do think it is because people need the support and the communication. And I mean, I don't want to go too far down that line, but it's me picking apart my own product and hearing someone's circumstances and thinking, okay, I actually think this really is the best thing for them, even though it may not seem obvious if you're just browsing the website. So I made the decision. I was like, okay, I need to remember that every type of coaching platform has some form of customer service that is inevitable. It's expected with a subscription, which was something I learned a while back. But I have to embrace it and lean into it a little bit because to be honest, even from like a product and business perspective, with that program questionnaire, it's someone's first impression to starting the whole process. So when they know that they have some form of support and communication, that's super, super valuable. But again, if so many people start it that I can't personally do all of it, it's even worse because then they, you know, send something in and they don't get a response and it's just a lose, lose for everybody. And I experienced a lot of that this summer, which really sucks. And so instead of trying to avoid any type of customer service, I'm really grateful to be in the position with the new amount of people that are active on the website to actually start to hire someone again. This is something that I've really been very, very, very cautious of diving into quickly. But Josh Rasmussen, who is a partner on some of the programs, he's actually worked and done emails for me in the past. He He's like, honestly, I think the most trusted trainer I can think of and one of the most credited trainers I can think of to help you guys. And he is going to be taking on some of this role again of customer support, writing programs. I mentioned last week, he's currently writing the four-day-a-week program, which I never talked about why we're doing a four-day-a-week program. I'm, I'll get into that in a second, but he is coming on board hourly and we're, we're still trying to figure out the details, but I think that we're moving forward with something that is actually sustainable for the both of us. And it would mean that if there was some crazy surge and amount of email flow that I could not handle, that it could be offloaded to him. And I'll be real with you guys. He has already been trained on how the website works, how email responses work. And the way I did it was basically having him BCC and on my emails for like a month. 
And then by the time he started responding, I would actually get BCC'd on him and then I would review him. And once we tweaked it a little bit, I'll be, I'll be real. It sounded so much like me. It almost freaked me out. Like the, his decision-making, the way he spoke to people, how he talked to people. And I was, and, and then he also came up with stuff too, that I was like, wow, that was a really good idea. You know, <laughs> maybe I wouldn't have even thought of that, which is exactly what you want from a coach that's working with your members and people that you really like care for and want to guide them the best way possible. So I think there's a lot of potential there for us to actually scale up the site and to do it in a little bit more of a hands-on manner. And I think there's some operations things on my end too, that can continue to be better. Like I'll tell you just embracing the fact that, okay, customer service is expected and it's an area that I can really shine, but it is going to require work that's very consistent and I'm going to need help just to say it like that is something I wouldn't have really been that clear about even a few months ago. Cause I'm like, no, it can be automated. No AI. No, I can do it this way. No. Like that's <laughs> like there's so much friction in my brain, you know, of just like fighting the inevitable. But I think the truth is, and I've already noticed it the last couple of weeks, prioritizing time on the computer first thing in the day it has been such a game changer for everything I'm doing, not just working on customer support for uh, coaching or like coaching support. Like it's helped with my partnerships. It's helped with projects I'm working on that have to, nothing to do with someone's program or whatever. So I've noticed it set me up for way more productive work days and I'm getting pretty fired up about it. I've, I've actually been more excited about the computer work than I've ever been because I've already seen the results of it in the short term. So I think that's something I'm really just trying to embrace and improving the customer service is going to be a very big thing going forward. Uh, I think a lot of you guys know that I, I do my best <laughs> and the want for this to be there has, has been there, but I don't think I've ever really embraced it this way. And I hopefully that doesn't come off wrong, but, uh, but adding a coach with the extra email support is something that I'm prioritizing moving forward. So We'll see how it goes. You know, if there's a crazy surge, thankfully we do have a, an automated questionnaire built out that again, I could just flip a switch and turn it on. And that would be like a bailout option of like, yo, it's either this or they're not getting an answer. And again, this is one of those moments I'm like, am I sharing too much <laughs> about the back end of the business? But I'm just being real with you guys. If you're this deep in the podcast, you deserve to know, you know, what happens on the back end. I mean, you always want to do the best for the member, but like, Sometimes the best is a B and not an A plus. <laughs> is that the worst sounding thing ever? That's just life, people. That's reality. Um, so improved customer service, it really is going to be a big thing going forward. And uh, hopefully you guys will see that from me uh, going forward, especially if you need some help right now. Um, so I guess I could say if you need to go get a program recommendation, now's the time to do it. And uh, hopefully me announcing it that way was a mis well, isn't a mistake. I've actually held myself back from doing like an email blast, like, hey, go get your co program questionnaires. So you guys will be before that wave. Maybe if we get through this confidently, I can, I can take that to the next step. <laughs> it's like, I'm excited about it, but I also don't want to just like, you know, shoot myself in the foot with this whole thing. So um, that's the customer service side. A lot of progress there. Um, I'll say also, prioritizing computer work first thing in the day. It, it's something I avoided in the past because I felt like I needed to do the creative thing first and pour more energy into that because a lot of the computer works more tedious and it requires less maybe creative energy. But at the same time for me, 
it's way harder to do at the end of the day because of, I don't know, ADD or whatever's going on in my head that doesn't, I, I just don't want to sit down and, and do this type of work later in the day. But in the morning, it's like my hyper productive time. And I've always known that. Uh, and it, I think that I knew that when I started procrastinating for high school projects and I do the whole thing at like four in the morning, the day it's due, you know, but I power it out and that really sucks. I don't want to actually be that much of a procrastinator, but I've known for a long time that early morning is my focused time. It's the minimal amount of whatever ADD is in my brain <laughs> is happening at that time. So that's going to be that priority, uh, priority there. But I guess I, I went off on another tangent. I went off, I, I went on a tangent about the mornings and then another tangent. Um, I think I was going to say that it has helped my, oh, it's helped improve the product because, for example, if there's something that needs to be updated on the website, like a photo or like a thumbnail for something or a link, these are the little things that don't take much time, but they do take this mental capacity to process it and to stop yourself and say, hey, before I move on, I'm going to send this email to get this thing fixed. It's going to take five minutes. It's going to take some focus, but we can handle it. Those are the things that get pushed to the side constantly when you feel overwhelmed with your schedule and you feel like you're behind on X, Y, and Z. But since I've been doing the computer work first thing in the morning, those things have been getting done more frequently. And it's like I'm clearing out the little tasks so that my brain is more free to think. And it's like the opposite of how I thought I should do things, which is pretty interesting. So that leads me to the next point, which is like, how do I improve the product? You know, the marketing has been really, really good for Dialed Health this year. And I want to continue doing those things similar to how I've been. Of course, there's a lot I want to improve on. And we're going to talk about content in a second. But I think that's a place I've done well. But I don't think I've done well at improving the product from a functionality standpoint. Now we have added content to the website. Like I'll just tell you the off-season road program has been such a hit. Uh, I, I'm so happy about this, but I, I haven't really cleaned up the app as much as I thought I was going to. Uh, and there are reasons for that. I haven't really updated a direction on the onboarding process to help people start be easier and have more resources on the website. So they don't have to email me about everything. And so Taking the time to really comb through it, to take myself through the process and look at everything again, because it's been a little while since I've done that, has put these glaring things out there. So let me talk to you about what I'm thinking about, about doing here. So first off, um, cleaning up the current product. That's how I can improve the product. Going through, updating images, making sure that as you onboard, that you know literally what to do day one. I do this, 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 and this. And then I start my program or I just start my program now and I know this stuff is there. For example, uh, movement testing. This is something that we can include. It would add more steps. It'd be a little bit more complicated, but it's there for that person if they feel like they need it. Uh, this would be, for example, if someone's doing the mobility program, you take an overhead squat assessment and it teaches you how to basically correct your, your form on your overhead squat. And the overhead squat shows us so much about movement that'll carry over into other movements that you do. That's a really, I would say it's the easiest, most digestible way to improve your mobility and your posture, uh, opposed to like, 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 at least on your own. And this is something I help out people with, but for example, this could be part of the onboarding process and it's already kind of set up. 
Uh, we could have benchmark standards. You know, how long should I be able to hold a plank for? What should I be able to squat? What should I be able to do uh, for pull-ups or push-ups or bench press or yada, yada, yada? These, or what should my mo- mo- mobility be like? Um, shoot, easy for me to say. Today, Junior, I'm going to grab a sip of water. Can anybody name that movie, by the way, that I just said? I'm pretty sure that's Billy Madison, Adam Sandler right there. Poor, poor kid with stutter. Uh, anyways, these benchmarks and standards, I would say I've never found them necessary because I'm like, well, you, you know, your benchmark should be on the bike or your benchmark should be like how you feel. <laughs> but again, it's like, how do we make this more tangible and also give people goals off of the bike? Because dude, I have goals off the bike. Like I just did uh, 225 for five reps on my deadlift today on a regular barbell. And that was actually a PR and I was really stoked about it. And so I was like, people need to experience that as well. And so I would like to include that going forward. This is actually something Josh is helping me out with this, by the way, let me just jump into that four day week program I mentioned earlier. We're doing it for people who can't ride as much as they want to. They are cyclists, but they can only ride a couple days per week. And they actually have the time and energy to get in more sessions, but the bike for whatever reason is, is going to be too difficult to do, whether that's, they don't have an indoor setup. Maybe they prefer more off the bike training, whatever reason they can't get on the bike as much. I mean, we, we all know it's not as accessible uh, as a lot of things <laughs> like grabbing some running shoes or just like getting down on the floor and doing some push ups. So we're building a program that allows people to train four days per week off the bike that still considers your primary goal is performance for that maybe one three-hour ride you do per week or that uh, one short interval ride plus that three-hour ride or whatever, or that four-hour ride. And so that's what the program has in mind. It's how do we train the person who is a cyclist that can't ride their bike as much as they want and they have the energy uh, and the means to get these strength workouts done. It's been highly requested, and I think that there is a real good space for it. Uh, but of course, if it's four days a week and you're not riding that much, we have to include some uh, conditioning in the workouts. So there's actually two strength conditioning workouts, one pure conditioning workout and one pure strength workout. It's it's so sick. Uh, Josh is finalizing it. Then we're going to have to film it. I mean, it's going to be probably like two months before it's out, but I'm really, really excited about that. So anyways... That's the four day week program. Um, we go back to improving the product. We can improve the onboarding process. We can improve the benchmark standards. We can bring this stuff in. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I'm really excited about, and I can pretty much tell you at this point, um, I just can't give you details, but it's going to be having a training peaks integration to dialed health so that you could optionally use the training peaks calendar for your dialed health workouts. And this is going to be something that we're, we're, we're beta testing it right now. Like we're starting this process. Training Peaks has been so incredible, by the way, to work with. So supportive. Like they are, they're freaking rad. <laughs> I love this business and learning more about Training Peaks and the fact that this is the most used calendar, especially in the States. I mean, I know there's other calendars like Today's Plan that are really big in Australia. Uh, there, there are other things, but I think most... Uh, athletes, at least in the U S and I would say in general, like if you're an experienced endurance athlete, you know, what training peaks is, and you probably use it. And so the fact that my programs could allow you, the fact that I could integrate in a way that allows you to have all of your stuff, your riding, your strength training, everything in detail, tracked all the stuff you need, all the data in one place. 
pretty exciting. And I think to do it in a way that's optional is kind of ideal. And hopefully I'm not saying too much here because I need to confirm some stuff. But my, my thought is like, we don't want to disrupt currently what we're doing because there are people that don't use training peaks that don't care. They just, they want to clearly see their workout and they want to use the product the way that it is. And hopefully we can just keep refining that process, but there are going to be people who want this added thing. So to have an option for it, I think would be ideal. Uh, so that's something to improve the current product. It's like, how do we focus on cleaning it up the way it is? And how do we add this feature for the upcoming year? And then of course, there's another option of the one-on-one stuff. If I had a nickel for every consult call that I got requested, um, maybe I would only have to charge a nickel and we'd be good to go. <laughs> no, I think this is the problem. I, I understand why people want consult calls because it's so much easier than the back and forth through an email or something like that. And being able to freely spitball, and I think also just know that you're heard is really valuable. I mean, I felt that way too. I can't tell you how many times I've called friends who are coaches just to be like, dude, like what's up with this? What's up with that? But this happened, but wait, you don't know. I'm special. I am a special snowflake and I'm different. And you've never heard this problem before. I swear. <laughs> that's what I, I, I do that too, dude. So I, I get it. And I say I do it too, because that's what like a lot of the, you know, requests I get are, uh, and in, a lot of, well, I can't say a lot of times. The majority of times it is commonalities between people, but there are unique stuff I hear where I'm like, whoa, you know, I've talked to thousands and thousands of people uh, and helped them with their training and if not train them in person. And I've never heard that one. <laughs> like you got me on that one. Um, so anyways, again, am I saying too much as a coach? I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I, I can be real with all you guys. Um I'm not, I don't need to sugarcoat stuff too much. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's something I've considered like, okay, how, how could I provide a service with console calls that makes sense for everybody? Uh, or I guess just makes sense for me. And I, I say it makes sense for me because I want everything I just talked about with all the website and the subscription service to be the priority. It has to be. Um, but then I think there's an opportunity to help those people more in depth. And then there's people who want one-on-one. So I'm doing, I, I coach Lance Hayden, my one and only athlete. I'm talking to some other athletes about potentially bringing him on next year. And it, it comes down to like a capacity thing. And also like, what can I really offer these athletes from like a one-on-one -on -one coaching standpoint? Cause I know I have the programming to help them period. I, I know that I do. And it's so cool talking to high level athletes and being like, wow, like we can make, like there's some low hanging fruit here, you know? So I feel confident about that, but it's also like, dude, am I going to go show up and support of these races? You know, am I going to go travel to see and support this athlete? Oh, am I going to go to this like team camp? And I'm not saying that these are options that have come up or anything, but I, it's hard for me not to like, uh, extrapolate. <laughs> what's the word? Extrapolate. Ex it's not exacerbate. Ex <laughs> it's something, <laughs> uh, see how it plays out into the future and take it to the extreme and, and like, what would that be? And do I want to go down that road? And so you have to ask yourself that. But then I think too, I'm like, well, there's also people that want one-on-one -on -one service and there's people who would want this athlete program. So it's like, how do I, how do I provide that for everybody? You know? And, and also just having that high profile package, let's just say quote unquote, 
does it make everything else more appealing? Does it add the credibility because I'm working with this person and that person? I mean, I think it does, but at the end of the day, can I follow through and do it in a way where it is actually working? And so these are the conversations I have with myself constantly. And I'm not trying to overthink things. I've actually gotten a little bit better at that, I think. But this is what goes on in my head. This is what I tell my wife after she's had a long day with the kids and she made dinner and she she got work done that day and she just puts her feet up with a glass of wine. I sit down and I just talk her ear off as soon as she starts relaxing. <laughs> and she... And she just gives me that dead stare. Like, really, right now? <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you what. I'm so lucky I have a wife that listens to me on all this stuff. Like, it's it's crazy. I, I literally will give her a spiel like this and then just apologize right after. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just put you through that. Like, you, <laughs> in fact, I'll be real. You guys usually get the the you get the the secondhand brain dump. She gets the first one that's I'm not gonna say less uh like fil- filtered i guess it's filtered but it's you know she gets the real raw like frustration where i actually talk and maybe make even less sense and then by the time i get to you guys it's a little bit more refined like i have a little bit more of a point <laughs> just a little bit um so anyways wow that actually went a lot longer than i expected i'm going to cut myself off because she is going to go to a soccer game and i'm going on daddy daycare it's also getting kind of late at night I got to edit this podcast, which is definitely something I'm looking to delegate and hand off in the future. Um, But I was actually thinking about it today. Last point. I have people all the time telling me to delegate more. First off, don't forget, you have to pay people. Uh, Secondly, I actually delegate so much. Today, I realize how many people I am currently working with to get the flow of everything done that I need. I'll give you a quick example. I have someone working on the dial house shred for me so that signups are a breeze, the links, the email flows, everything is stepped up to another level. That's a whole separate person I'm going back and forth with. I have a videographer and photographer who is uploading things to my video editor, who I'm also going back and forth with to package up the thumbnails that I will be sending to a thumbnail guy. And then I had a call today with the web team. And then I had a call last week with uh, Training Peaks for, I, I guess, a future web team. Like I am working with so many people. So there's a lot of delegation. I'm actually super excited about the people who have come around Dowd Health to make things operate uh, the way they are as a base that we can build from because, man, we have so much further to go. And that brings me to content, YouTube videos, connecting journals, podcast interviews, having it live on the website in a way that's more accessible and easier for you guys to just like send a link to the website that has, you know, the link to the podcast, the supportive YouTube video and the supportive uh, journal or blog post behind it. Uh, These are things I'm working on. And actually at the end of this week, you're going to see a new YouTube video that is after a blog post I did with training peaks. And uh, I don't have a podcast for it. Maybe I'll have to do that as well. But anyways, you're going to see this start coming to play out. So anyways, way longer than I expected. I hope you guys are crushing it and stay tuned for the dial hill shred it's on i'll tell you what after that cherry pie that got dropped off at my house by my mom and we're getting the the toffee we're getting the my wife just went to she goes to trader joe's and buys all the good holiday stuff on top of this and uh yeah i don't know i think january i'm gonna be ready to track some food and lose a little bit of weight (laughs) 
Oh, man. All right. I'm starting to babble. You guys have a killer week. Crush your workouts. And until next time, start moving forward.